this is Nurse Skizer News for the week of September 9th, 2019, and I'm your host, Rebecca Hartman Baker. Today's guest is Debbie Bard. Debbie leads the Data Science Engagement Group at NERSC. Debbie, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again. It's great to be back. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so Debbie, today's topic is the super facility concept. So let's just start with that. What in the world is the super facility concept? So there's a couple of different ways that you can think about this idea. Probably in the most simple sense, you can think of this as uh, connected facilities. So this could be an experimental facility, one of the DOE user facilities, connected to an HPC facility via the DOE networking facility, ESNet. So in that case, you have three DOE facilities connected together and working together. There's a way of thinking about this uh, super facility concept that's uh, a much higher level and has a lot more added value. You can think of this as not just uh, facilities that are connected together, but also all the people that are involved in that. And so that could be HPC experts that can work with experimental teams to optimize their code to run on supercomputers. This could be computer science researchers that could be working on new algorithm development for data analysis. This would be networking experts who are optimizing the data flows across the the wide network to get the data from the experiment to the computing facility. Uh, So there's a lot of different levels involved in this and a lot of different um, sort of areas of work that come together in this concept. Okay, so what kind of facilities and people are interested in this concept? So this is actually something that's becoming more and more popular as a, as a concept and more necessary as a concept in uh, recent years and certainly looking out towards the future. Experimental technology, so detectors and the instruments that uh, experimental scientists use to collect their data, they're really benefiting from huge technology advances and so these detectors are becoming more sophisticated, they're collecting more data. Uh, And that data has to be analysed, and along with that data analysis, you often need a large number of theoretical simulations that have to be run to understand the data. So experimental facilities are having increasingly uh, large computing requirements, and those uh, requirements naturally fit, in some cases, with the DOE HPC facilities. So this is something that's becoming uh, wider and wider. I don't think there's an area of science in the DOE that's not being affected by this increasing amount of data and increasing amount of compute needs. So this is something that concerns uh, pretty much all the DOE experimental facilities and all the DOE computing facilities. Oh, okay, okay. So what is NERSC's role in this then? So NERSC, as the mission HPC and data facility for the Department of Energy, we have uh, a lot of experimental teams that already work with us who use NERSC's resources for uh, data analysis, for, for running the simulations, for storing the data, for sharing their data. And so NERSC's role in this is really to make sure that the experimental teams that we work with are able to use our resources as effectively as possible. It's really all about optimizing the science and making sure that the experimental teams and the experimental facilities are able to use NERSC resources really easily, really seamlessly. Okay, so what kind of science teams are we partnering with? NERSC has a long history of working with um, experimental teams and some of these uh, collaborations go back many years. We are working very closely, for example, with the light source community. Um, the light sources um, at Berkeley Lab, the ALS, um, also at Argonne and Brookhaven, the APS and NSLS2. 
and also LCLS, which is the X-ray light source over at Slack. And so these are examples of user facilities that have large numbers of users that come to use their experiments. And some of those experiments have huge data volumes. And so they, they use NERSC to analyze that data. And we also work in the astronomy community. And we have long uh, connections with experiments that, for example, the cosmic microwave background experiments. We're also working increasingly with uh, ground-based telescope experiments. So DESI is one example, the dark energy spectroscopic instrument. Um, and we're also working with LSST, the Dark Energy Science Collaboration for the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope. So these are telescopes that have very sophisticated uh, detectors on them that are producing large amounts of data. We also have uh, a long and productive uh, relationship with the Joint Genome Institutes, who are doing genomics data analysis, uh, assembly uh, and reconstruction. And also we are working increasingly with some cryo-electron microscopy groups. So, uh, for example, we have a, a really exciting collaboration with the National Centre for Electron Microscopy, um, which is here in Berkeley Lab campus up at the Molecular Foundry, um, who are doing some really interesting things around detector development uh, for their sophisticated new uh, microscopes using NERSC resources to analyse the data. Wow. Okay, so that, we're working with a lot of people already on this. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, it's one of the most exciting things about my job, actually, is that I get to learn about some of the cool new science that's being done um, by DOE scientists and how NERSC is, is working to support that. Yeah. This sounds really complicated. So what are we doing to sort of organize our efforts here at NERSC? Yeah, you're right that this is this is complicated and it's getting increasingly complicated, I think. So one of the things that we, we've done at NERSC is we've recognised that the work that's needed uh, to support these kinds of workloads is in some ways quite different from business as usual. And so we have a large amount of technical work that's being done uh, in various different places within NERSC that supports these kinds of workloads. But a lot of that work has been motivated by kind of one-off engagements. You know, we hear from one of these projects who says, we have this need, there's this piece that's missing that is making it difficult for us to run our workload at NERSC, like, can you help us fix it? And doing that in a one-off way for every one of these experiments we work with is not very uh, sustainable. We're expecting there to be more and more of these experiments using NERSC resources uh, in the future, so we needed a way to make this scalable and sustainable. So we've formed a project, what we call the Super Facility Project within NERSC, that has a project management structure to coordinate all this work. So it's coordinating the technical work, it's making coordinated liaisons with the science teams um, so that we know that everyone is, is talking to the science teams and understands what their needs are. And it's also coordinating some of the policy work that's needed to make it easy for these teams to use NERSC. So let's talk more about the policy. That's probably the part that scares me the most <laughs> as the user engagement group leader. What I would right. not want to see us do is go from already 7,000 users to 20,000 or something because we have all these projects. Yeah, so there's a few different ways that we, we have to be careful about, about policy. I mean, a lot of these experimental teams that we're working with they are themselves user facilities, just like NERSC is a user facility. And so we don't really consider the end users of those experiments to be our users. We consider the, you know, the, the, the beamline scientist or the, the computing scientist within um, the project to be our users. So 
part of the development of policy is making sure that uh, we have policies in place to define the support level. So when someone has a question, who do they come to and how much of in, in some of these cases, we, we need to make it clear how much of NERSC is exposed to the end user. Because you know, a scientist coming uh, to do an analysis of some material sample that they might have at an X-ray laser, they don't care about NERSC, they don't care where their data is analysed, they just want to get their science results out. And so we want to make sure that that can happen for them seamlessly so they don't have to know, oh, I'm running at NERSC or I'm running somewhere else or my code is you know, off at another facility. We need to make sure that this is able to happen for those end, end scientists seamlessly. Right. So another way that we're thinking about policy is in uh, defining what it is to be a NERSC user. So for example, some of these user facility end users might need to access data that we have stored at NERSC, but not necessarily do any compute. They need to access the data that they've taken, but they're not going to do any analysis at NERSC or any further analysis at NERSC. They just want to take this data and take it home. And so in that case, we need to think about, does that person need to be a NERSC user, a full NERSC user? Do we need to think about new types of users who have access to their data but don't have access to the nurse compute systems and so that's another area in which policy can kind of make everything easier for for people. Mm-hmm. Well there's also other policies like how people can access nurse like you were right. saying but like also just maybe new novel ways of accessing nurse that we haven't implemented yet. Yeah yeah one one way that's becoming increasingly popular is Jupiter. Jupyter notebooks, people are doing their accessing their data and running their analysis via a Jupyter notebook rather than sort of logging in on the command line to NERSC. And that's a, a new way of accessing supercomputing resources. We have, so we, we have to think about how we, how we have policies around that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's possible maybe one of these sites, they might have their own equivalent of a Jupyter notebook or something. Right. That then their users might want right. to use. Yeah, yeah, and how do we make that easy for them so they can run a you know a predefined Jupyter notebook perhaps on on the data that sits at NERSC using NERSC computing resources? But again, the end user doesn't necessarily have to be the one logging in and doing it. Yeah, and I suppose there's exciting security implications. <laughs> All kinds of stuff that we have to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also very much a part of thinking about this is we need to make sure that we're providing access in a way that's secure and safe and is appropriate for for what people are doing. Another example of this is uh, federated identity. This is a, a topic that's under a lot of discussion in within the super facility project and within NERSC in general, in fact. This is the case where someone um, is coming to a beamline, say, or um, you know, another experiment, and they have their own identity that is authenticated by one of these DOE user facilities. And then um, can they use that identity to log into their NERSC account? Or do they need to use their NERSC identity? You know, do they need to log in again a second time to use NERSC? Or can we transfer that authority or that authentication from the place where they initially logged in to NERSC? securely. And this is an open question. It's it's something that would make life much easier for a lot of scientists. They ask us about this all the time. Um, but we have to be very careful to make sure that we're doing this in a way that's appropriate and is safe and secure. Yeah. Well, sounds like we're going to have a lot of challenges on this front for for years to come. That's right? what makes this interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes it exciting. Yeah. 
So this is mostly supporting sort of experimental science sort of workflows, but I mean, are there applications of this to just your regular individual user? Oh, absolutely, yes. A lot of the work that um, is is being done kind of within this project is is applicable to all NERSC users. So one example of that is around data management. So there are people at NERSC who are working on improved versions of data management dashboards. So you can uh, see where your data is at NERSC and all the different file systems we have and be able to move data around in a way that's really seamless rather than having to log in on the command line, like try to see where is everything is sitting on the file system. And so that's going to be really helpful for people. We're also looking at developing automated tools for doing data migration between, uh, for example, the GPFS and the uh, HPSS uh, system, so from disk to tape, uh, which is something that I think will benefit all users, being able to do automatic uh, archiving of your data. And another area that I think is going to be really interesting for a lot of people is the development of an API for NERSC. So this is going to allow people to program in API calls into their own workflow that can ask questions and do simple operations at NERSC. So for example, is is NERSC available? Uh, Is there a maintenance happening? Um, What are the future maintenance plans? Maybe asking a question about where is my data and maybe making a simple operation of moving my data from somewhere or checking the status of a job that you submitted. So this allows um, users to program to an API to do these fairly simple operations rather than having to log into NERSC or then log into another dashboard somewhere and then and then this is making everything uh, smoother and easier for people. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, so that could be something that people could incorporate into their own workflows. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the idea. Mm. We want to just make this easier for yeah. everybody. Oh, that's great. That's great. So you mentioned before we already have some collaborations with a lot of experimental facilities. Can you talk about some of those? Yes, we we have some really strong connections and some strong collaborations with several experimental facilities. And something that's uh, really interesting about the range of experimental groups that we are working with is that they all have slightly different requirements. So, for example, there are um, some facilities that have running experiments that need to have real-time feedback on how the experiment is running. In some cases, they need HPC scale resources to provide that feedback. So they have a very time sensitive component to their analysis. They need to be able to have access to nurse computing almost in real time to get feedback on um, whether the experiment is going well or not. Like It can be very hard to tell if the data you're getting out is good and so they can use NERSC to help them say that. So examples of that might be um, the LCLS or ALS. Um, this is something that's, that's quite typical for running experiments at, at beamlines. Another example of how these experiments are time sensitive could be uh, in astronomy. So working with, the, with DESI, the Dark Energy Spectroscopic Instruments, they need to be able to analyse their data from one night before the next night starts because the analysis of their data from the previous night will influence and perhaps define where they want to point their telescope the next night. And so there's a time sensitivity there where within 12 hours pretty much they need to have all their data analysed and digested and all their 
information available so that the astronomers can decide what to do the next night. And so that's something that's, that's time sensitive, but on a different kind of frame. So we have to think about how we can accommodate those workloads alongside the, the rest of the NERSC workload without uh, making any disruption to, to the queues, for example. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like a big challenge. Yeah, it's, it's always a challenge <laughs> when you're working with the, the busy queues at NERSC. Um, but I guess one of the things I want to emphasize is that by working with a big range of different groups of different experiments is that we have a lot of different requirements that are coming from very different science areas that are pushing us technically in very different ways. And I think that's a really good thing. Um, it means that we are putting together plans for tools and for policies that should be beneficial to everybody almost everybody, uh, or as a wider range of use cases as, as possible. We want to make sure that we're designing uh, solutions that are going to be generally useful and not just sort of useful for one particular group. Mm -hmm. And indeed useful for the whole nurse user yeah, user base. Yeah, sort of identifying some motifs or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so working closely with these experimental teams is really important so that we really understand what it is they're trying to do. Oh, great. All right. Well, Debbie, this has been really interesting. So just want to finish up with three things you want nurse users to know. Okay. The first one would be the increasing trend of uh, data intensive science and how experiments and user facilities are producing more and more data and have more and more computing requirements. And so uh, we're going to see more of this in the future, this connection between experimental science and HPC facilities. Um, this is a very important connection and I think we, this is going to increase very much in the future. So uh, the second thing that I want nurse users to know is that we are developing a whole range of tools to address some of the needs of these experiments but also that will be generally useful for, for all the users. I mentioned a couple of examples earlier of an API, data dashboards and data movement tools, um, things that are going to be really useful for everybody. So I would say keep an eye out uh, for announcements around these tools and these new functionalities. And the third thing is actually a question, I would say, to people listening. If there are things here that you thought were really interesting, or if you work with an experimental facility that you think could benefit from some of this work, or that we could benefit from understanding a bit more about your computing needs, then please get in contact with us. We'd really like to hear from you because, as I mentioned earlier, the more groups that we talk to, the more robust our tools are and the better service we can provide. Yeah, excellent. Well, those are three great things. Thanks so much for joining me today. Great. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having me.